Well, good morning, church. It's always a blessing for us to be together. I also want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. So here we are, uh, week five, into this sermon series where we're trying to focus on God's amazing ability to speak to each one of us in precisely the way that we, we desperately need for God to speak to us. And one of the things that I have found both interesting and challenging throughout this series is we've thought about, okay, the, the way God makes us and the diversity that God has instilled in us as, as individuals and even the, the diversity that we experience together in community, it, it forces us, I think, if we want to be effective in sharing our faith both in terms of evangelism, but also in terms of sharing our faith together in community, we've got to spend some time trying to see the world, not just from the perspective that we, we just get, because it's, it feels like it's hardwired into us, but also to work to see, see the world from someone else's point of view, from, from someone else's vantage point. That if, if God wants to understand each one of us on a soul-deep level, that as people who are trying to be shaped into the image of that God, that we seek to understand one another in that same supernatural, spiritually gifted way. So we, we have talked about you know, different places to stand in life and to try to move through the world. So far, we've talked about you know, people who are primarily driven by the need to be perfect, the need to be needed, the need to be successful, the need to be understood. And, and what we've, we've talked about is the reality that, that because we have those basic needs, and each one of us could relate to all of them, but each one of us also relates the most to one of them, right? That, that God speaks through the gospel into our souls something that we, we long to hear, but it is different from what we expect to hear. So for those of us who have this driving need to be perfect, God doesn't say, I'll make you perfect this side of heaven. Instead, he says, you are good. You're good. You're not perfect, but you're good, and that's enough. For those of us who feel like maybe the only time anyone really wants us in, in their life is because we're able to meet some kind of need they have, that we're able to help them. God doesn't say, yeah, everybody in your life is always going to need you more than anyone else. God speaks and says, you are wanted. Whether or not you're able to fulfill anyone's needs, you're wanted. For those who feel this pressure in our world, and our world's constantly telling us that we've got to win, that we've got to overcome, that we need to be successful. God doesn't say, I'm going to help you win every time. God says, I love you for simply who you are, not for what you're able to do. And for those of us who carry this holy homesickness, this soul-deep desire for everyone else in our life to really get us, to understand us. God doesn't promise you that you're ever going to find that kind of understanding in any of the relationships you have in your life. You're only going to have that experience in your relationship with him. And he says to you that even though you're not fully understood, you really do belong. This morning, we're going to be trying to stand in that perspective, in that vantage point for people who love 
to have knowledge, who love to have the space to think about all the ideas they have, who would rather spend the evening with a good book and not you. And and they have this, this script running in their mind all the time. You know, I need more information, I need more time, and I need more space. And I don't want you to interrupt me, and and I don't want you to ask me to go out with a bunch of people without any warning. I don't want you to be spontaneous, and if you do, I'd like you to do that without including me in your spontaneity. Right? These these folks, and and there are many of us, I, I have to believe, right, that the churches of Christ... Our tradition, our our approach to faith is so rational and it is so information driven. We have to have a lot of people in our church that, that would love to always get their hands on, get their minds on more information and more time and more space. These are the people in the room who get really frustrated when we sing during communion because we're interrupting their thoughts about Jesus while we're taking communion. I've heard from you, I get emails from you regularly. They're always kind about it, but there's always some study attached, <laughs> right? There's some article I need to read. These are the people who, they always have to go to the bathroom if at church we start doing that, meet your neighbor. <laughs> you know, it's enough, I'm in here with you. I, I, now I have to shake your hand and try to ask, you know, small talk questions and stuff like that. Now I don't want to, I didn't come to church for that. I came to church for somebody who's an expert to teach me more things about the Bible or about God that I can can rely on. There's there's so many of us in this room that at least can imagine what it's like to view the world this way. And, And by the way, we're living in a world where if you love getting your hands on more information, you are in some ways both living your best life because we're in the information age. But you're also looking around at all these other people who don't know what to do with information like, like you do. You know, and they fall for fake studies and, and articles that, you know, anybody could have written and pretended to be a doctor or an expert. And you, you look at those people and you think, why aren't you, why don't you know you're being tricked? Why don't you realize that's not trustworthy? These are the websites you can trust. These are the studies you can rely on. The challenge is what to do with all that information. If you have it, how do you decide who you're going to tell it to? How do you decide if it's even worth bringing it up? If we live in a world where we're drowning in information, but we're starving for wisdom, what do you do? Well, you retreat, right? You get farther from those emotionally driven, confused people all around you, and you try to build a safe place where you can reflect and you can think and you can learn. And you're only going to come out of that safe place when you're good and ready. The challenge is, if you're paying close attention to the state of our world, when is it ever going to be time to come out of that safe place? We've looked every week at at different stories, different Bible characters who kind of seem to be driven by these basic human needs. And the 
the Bible character that for me, I think really embodies somebody who's looking at the world through the lens of logic and reason and, and evidence is somebody in the New Testament that we don't exactly have the nicest, most positive name for. Doubting Thomas. But I want us to get past this whole doubting thing because, by the way, resurrection is a hard thing to scientifically understand. Right? And I think he's, he's more of a... I, I would, this is a nobody asked me what to call him. But I'd rather we think of him as, as a searching Thomas, right? He's not, it's not just about doubt. It's that he's looking for what he needs to feel like he can trust that what everybody else is saying really is true. But it's not easy for him. And, and again, I think if we're going to be honest, it wouldn't be easy for any of us. So let's, uh, before we do that, actually, I want us to hear from voices of people who kind of view the world this way. Got ahead of myself here. So, you notice last week I had four quotes. This week I'm only going to have two because it's really hard to get quotes from these people. <laughs> they, don't, they don't respond well to being asked, what's it like to be you? Right? When I discover a new piece of interesting information, not when I'm in a sparkling conversation, okay? It's like the sensation of eating the best delicacies, having the, the most delicious meal, or when I connect the dots and realize a new insight, it's like the hallelujah chorus goes off inside of me. And I love to pass it along so others will discover and connect with the same understanding. I find this deeply gratifying and almost intoxicating. Okay, next, next quote. My entire life is filtered through my head. I am constantly bouncing ideas off myself. My mind is both my greatest ally and sometimes my greatest enemy. If I'm in a large group, which would be the last thing they'd want to do, right? If I'm in a large group, I pay close attention to all the interactions and evaluate the feelings of the room and the tone of everyone in it. Then I'll go home to my safe space, right? And I'll replay all those interactions to see if there's any useful information I need to retain. That is such a funny way to talk about, I'm not sure I had a great time at the party. But <laughs> thinking is my main mode of observation, right? So again, What's tricky here is we've all experienced the fact that life and, and therefore the journey of faith is some kind of combination of ideas and thoughts, but also our hearts. What we're experiencing, not just what we're observing. What we're going through, not just what we're reading about. Okay, but let's, let's go ahead and read John 20 because Thomas could have written either one of those quotes. Thomas, the one called the twin, one of the 12, this is important. He wasn't with the disciples when Jesus shows up. This is after the, the crucifixion. Jesus has already gone through the resurrection, and there's been all these different sightings. And people are sad because they've lost their friend and their savior. And what do those people do because they're sad? They get together. That's the last place Thomas wants to be. He doesn't understand what happened to Jesus. He doesn't understand why it's happening to Jesus. So he, he wasn't with them. So when Jesus shows up the first time to the gathered disciples, they're telling Thomas about it. Right? We've seen the Lord. But he replied, that's great for you. 
But unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger in the wounds left by the nails and put my hand into his side, I won't believe it. Show me the receipts for the resurrection, Thomas says. Give me the data. Let me look at it, and then I'll decide for myself. A week later, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Right, So he's curious enough now where he's, he's willing to be with them. And even though the doors were locked, I think just to blow Thomas's mind a little bit more, <laughs> Jesus entered and stood among them. And he said, my information I give to you. No, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, okay, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Go ahead, Nate. Put your hand into my side. Now, this is the piece I want you to hold on to. He's given him the evidence, and then he says, no more waiting to believe. Believe. Right? It's time. And Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And Jesus replied, do you believe because you have the evidence? Because you see me. Blessed are those who don't have it, don't get to see, and yet believe. And then John says to us, Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in this scroll, but these things were written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing, you will have life in his name. I think the reason John says this last kind of extra note is he's aware that Thomas is not the only one searching to try to make sense of it all, to try to understand it better, that, that Thomas is far from the only person who says, you know what, before I'm going to leap, I want to learn. Before I'm going to rush into something, I, there's one more thing I need to take a look at. Before you want me to decide you need to just let me catch my breath and try to see it from all the different sides and come back to you with some kind of an answer. It wasn't enough for Thomas to have his fellow friends and disciples tell him, look, this is what we've experienced. This, this is what it was like when Jesus showed up. We, we promise you, he's alive and he's in our lives. And, and, and don't you want to have that experience? And Thomas says, yeah, I do, but I need to see it. I need to reach out and touch it. I need, I need to know it's real. I need more information. I need more time. I need more space. And it's not that Jesus disregards all of that. He gives Thomas the essentials of what he needs. But then he knows that even with all of that, even with Jesus standing there and saying, you can touch my side, you can look at my hands, and you know it's me, you know my voice, you know it's me. He still has to lovingly say to Thomas, it's time I know there's stuff you don't fully get. I know you wish you could fully understand me and, and my presence in the world, but it's time. Believe. As we listen from that vantage point, I think what, what Jesus is, is trying to say is, Thomas, don't just... Don't just see the group of disciples who've gathered around me. Don't just try to observe what they're doing and what they're, 
what they're experiencing with me. You come all the way in. Come all the way into the community. Because here's what you need to trust. Even though you're afraid that you don't know enough and you might look foolish if you can't fully explain it all. Even if you feel like you've got this limited amount of of energy in any given day to interact with the people in your life and they, they ask for all kinds of things from you and you don't always have the best answer and that really bothers you and keeps you up at night. You're meant to be with them not off by yourself trying to figure it out. You're meant to, to share yourself, right? And he knows he's afraid. So Jesus doesn't just say to us and to Thomas, you need to share yourself. He says, you can share yourself without losing yourself. You can be in community and still be you. You can still have your thoughts. You can still do the homework you could still be the person who, when it, when it comes time for the community of faith to make decisions, they can lean on you because you've read five books about it. But it does no good if you keep collecting all this knowledge for yourself and you're not connected enough with everybody else in the community to share it. And by the way, you don't only have knowledge to share, you have a soul to share. And there's a way to do that without losing a sense of who you are, without, without losing your unique perspective. Because the church needs that. The world needs that. Right? Everyone else in your life needs somebody who is thoughtful. Who, even though none of us can actually get to the place of full objectivity, still tries to find a way to be objective. And to say, you know, there's strengths In this argument, and here's the weaknesses, and here's some things we can learn about Scripture that helps build the faith of other people who need the evidence. Like the only way any of those gifts are going to get outside of you into the world, into the church, is if you trust that you can share yourself without losing yourself. Paul Paul talks about this tension often in his letters. But, but when I was thinking about, okay, what would it be like? What, what's Paul envisioning for people who really are driven to know more? And then when they know more, they kind of retreat a little bit and they think about it and they reflect on it and then they get ready and they come back and they say, here's what I've learned. Here's what I want you to learn. Here's what I see. Here's what I want you to see. Well, what's the, the, the vision that God has for those kinds of people in our lives? And I thought about Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, Paul writes, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you receive from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Those three things, humility, gentleness, and patience, are not things you do by yourself. They're lived out in relationship to other people. Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. You all are are one body and one Spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. Do you see how much 
Paul's pushing back on the concept that any one of us could ever learn enough and know enough that we don't need anyone else to help us or be there for us, that we don't need the church, that, that really the risk of the church is that someone else in the room could stand up and talk and they'd be wrong. That they wouldn't be doing the right thing with the information. And that's stressful. Right? That, that fills us with anxiety. And Paul says, look, if you think that you can do this faith journey thing on your own, you don't understand that what, what God is doing is he's calling each one of us as individuals, but he's calling us into the body of Christ together. God has given his grace to each one of us, measured out by the gift that is given by Christ. Right, so not everybody has the same gifts. Not everybody's called to be the same kind of person. There's apostles and prophets, evangelists. There's pastors, there's teachers. His purpose, Paul says, was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and the knowledge of God's Son. Now, that first bolded sentence on that screen, that's every church's Vision and mission statement. It's too long to put on a coffee mug or a t-shirt, but that's it, right? This is the reason for the church to exist, that there's this shared work of serving and building up the body of Christ as, as we grow, not just up, but as we grow together. God's goal is for us to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. By that he means doesn't matter how much you know. There's stuff you don't know. doesn't matter how much you've experienced. There's stuff you haven't yet experienced, okay? If we're measuring ourselves to the fullness of Christ, we're not there yet. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Now, isn't it wonderful that our current world has none of that going on in it? Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ who is the head. The whole body grows from him and it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments. The body makes itself grow when it builds itself up with love as each one does its part. Okay, there's a lot going on there. Well, what Paul's talking about here is that if you, out of a sense of you don't know enough yet, or out of a sense of people make you uncomfortable, uh, sharing and opening up makes you feel exposed in ways you don't like, that when we withhold the unique person we're created to be from the community, the church suffers because we're holding ourselves back. And when the church isn't the kind of body it was created to be, it's I want you to have the image that it's, an, it's a body that's limping through the world. It's a body that isn't able to be all that Jesus wants it to be because there's too many people inside of it saying, you know what, I don't, I don't trust enough to open up, to, to share my perspective. And one of the things that's so challenging with this is if we're going to reach people in the world who like to have information and time and space, then what they need to see is what it's like for Christian people who want more knowledge and more time and more space. How do they do church? How do they do Christian community? What does it actually look like? 
Because if you go up to somebody, and, and by the way, not all of these people are automatically introverts. And all of us who are introverted can relate to this in, in one way or another. But the reality is, you were created for the sake of other people. You were not created for your own sake. You weren't created in order to, to somehow compensate for maybe some doubt you have about what you bring to the table. You compensate that by but just burying yourself and becoming an expert in some field and you think that's what makes me confident. That, that's what makes me feel like I know who I am and where I'm going and what I'm supposed to do. If you get stuck in your head so much that you're not able to live out through your life, right? If, if you can't somehow close that difference between your head and your heart and, and then get that, that blood pumping, spiritually speaking enough, so that you start not just thinking about God, but, but you understand that it's about reaching out the way Thomas does, right? And, and, and somehow finding a way to realize that this whole faith thing, it can't be a thought experiment. It's a way of life. And it's a life that's lived in community. I need you, even when I'm not aware that I need you. And I, I need to have these moments where I step beyond playing everything close to the vest. You know, I, I got to think that Thomas was uniquely equipped to talk to people who were struggling with believing and trusting in Jesus because it just didn't make any sense to them. And he could come alongside of them and say, you know what, it, it doesn't always make sense to me either. But here's a couple of books I, I wrote. Here's a couple of books I read. Here, here's a way of thinking about it that's helped me. Here's a conversation I had, and it stayed with me all these years later, and it, it just helps everything click into place for me. If, if there's people in our world, and there are, who need they need a rational explanation of what it means to be people who are following in the footsteps of Christ. If all we give to people who need an explanation is a touchy-feely experience where we hope they're going to get chills, I mean, there's just some people who just don't get chills through experiences. I mean, maybe when they're reading a book and they have this great deep thought and nobody else is around, so they, they're not going to be embarrassed if they, you know, emote I'm speaking theoretically about these kinds of things, right? We need people to show us what it's like to follow Jesus in a way that, I'll, I'll just be direct with you, right, is less emotive, it's less showy, it's, it's less about feelings, and it really is more about ideas. And brothers and sisters, I... I'm telling you, faith is not just about getting all the right ideas and then mentally agreeing with them. But if what you need before you can act in faith is someone who's thoughtful, sharing what they've learned so that that will give you the ability and the courage to step out and show up in a world that's messy and illogical and full of suffering that, by the way, doesn't make sense. And we need to see what that's like. 
And those of us who at times get caught up in our emotions, those of us who, who don't stop to think things through, we need someone at the table in our family dinner table, right, that says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How are we going to pay for this? Well, what's going to happen if this and this and this go wrong? Has anybody looked to see if any other church has tried this and how that's gone? Right, like those people can be super annoying if you're really excited to jump into something, but sometimes they can, they can save you, they can rescue you from, from running right into a brick wall that you thought was, was the path God wanted you to take. We need the people in this room who aren't hardwired to share themselves to trust that Jesus makes it possible for you to share yourself without losing yourself. Now, I want to say that, and not just in a sense of energy or knowledge or, or opinions. That's all true. But I mean who you are, at the core of who you are, that that's a God-given identity. It's a God-given identity. I love this this, uh, this quote from C.S. Lewis. The more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Because he made us. He invented us. He invented all the different people that you and I were intended to be. And it is when I turn to Christ, when I give up myself to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. Now, do you hear what, what Lewis is saying here? What he's saying is, you are a one-of-a-kind expression of who Christ is. Nobody else is able to represent Christ to the world quite like you are. Now, there's an unredeemed version of your life, and there's a redeemed version of your life. But what, what Jesus isn't asking us to do is to lose our unique personalities and all be exactly the same kind of expression of his life on the earth. No, it's the opposite of that. It's that we surrender the unredeemed version of who we are and we hand it over to God and we say, do something only you can do through who I am, through who you created me to be. Reach the people only you can reach. People who share this same need to know more, to, to have a little bit of space, to have a little bit of distance, to be detached from all the, the vitriol and the anger and, and the politicization of our lives. I mean, don't we need more people to say, let me think about that first? Man, I wish we had more people before they reacted that would stop and say, I need to think about that first. But that is one of the most important aspects of Christ that we can often lose in a world where it's not like people are looking for the, the truth as much as they're manufacturing their own version of it. And we need people to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. If folks are going to cross that bridge to share themselves with us, man, we need to find a way to welcome it, to create space for it, to value it to thank them for it, to honor them for it. You know, if you think of the church as a group project, these are the people who are going to pull the rest of us to an A. 
They're going to they're gonna pull us in the directions that we, we need to go that sometimes we just, we're too impatient. We're too filled with passion. And we get out ahead of ourselves. We need people who will call us back. The gospel means that God has both created you and equipped you to live your life in relationships that are worth the risks and the costs they demand. You know, I chose that word demand on purpose because if you're somebody who primarily thinks of your relationships by how much energy they take from you from the time you wake up to the time you you go to sleep at night, relationships demand time and energy and effort. They do. But you've got to trust that you were created for them You and I were created for relationships, and we really can, through God's help and presence in our lives, we can meet the challenge of risking for the sake of relationship, of having to say it sometime, I don't know, I thought this was the right pathway to go, I thought this was the right move uh, to make, the right step to take, and maybe I'm wrong. It's okay to take that risk, and it's okay to realize that every relationship worth having, man, it costs you. And yet it's always worth it because we are not meant. I mean, what's the first observation God makes when he creates the world and he places Adam in it and he has all these different animals spend some time with Adam? What does God say? It's not good for you to be all by yourself all the time. But all of us need alone time. Now here's what our culture has done with alone time. We call it me time. And I think a Christian version of alone time It's us time. It's not me time. It's us time. Because when you take that moment to disengage, I think Jesus would say, if you're going to withdraw from people, do it for the sake of those people. Do it because it makes you into someone who's better equipped to show them what they can't see or to teach them an idea that they don't know about. Like, yes, you need times when you don't have people interrupting you and asking you questions that, that you don't already have answered. You need to pull away. But as you pull away, see that time not as unplugging, but as preparation. When Jesus pulls away from the crowds, and he does this all the time in his ministry, I'm convinced he's doing it in order to be someone he needs to be for them. The horizon is always bigger than just Christ. It's, it's his followers. It's the world. And so when you think of self-care, and that's kind of one of those buzzy terms that we hear all the time, and if all you picture is someone in a bubble bath, you know, with their favorite book, that always makes me nervous that I, you're going to drop the book in the water. But, you know, if, if that's all you can envision is kind of this unplug, I don't, I don't really think that's the reason that, that Jesus asks us to clear our heads, to, to take a step back and think about it. I think when Jesus asks us to take care of ourselves, it's always because it's only the healthy version of yourself that the world most needs. Not the stressed out, anxious, you know, kind of angry at all the people who don't think like you or don't understand things the way, that, that version of you isn't going to help save anybody. But see, the Christ-like, redeemed version of you, well, there's people in this world that are dying to spend some time with that version of who you are. You are created and equipped for other people. 
Live like it. Live like it. You know, I, I think the, the best and the hardest thing about church, it's all the other people. I mean, if everybody in here would just get with the program and see everything the way I already do, it would be super boring. It would be effective for a really narrow slice of the general population. But it wouldn't be the body of Christ living for the sake of the world. People are worth the risk. They're worth the cost. And they need you. So it's great to read and it's great to research and it's great to have time where you're silent before God and you, you get out in nature and you don't have constant interruptions and notifications and it's, it's great for you to find that calm, quiet place again, but could you give the rest of us the map to get there? Could you take us there with you? Because so many of us have forgotten the way to that place. We're gonna sing together now and as we do, uh, my prayer for you is, is that whether you're a person who lives from this, this perspective or, or you're a person who doesn't relate to it at all, I pray that all of us this week would find the courage to be the Christ-like version, the unique Christ-like version we were born to be, to trust that regardless of how busy we are and how much we have going on and how many people are asking for our help, right, that that the reality is God will help us share our hearts and our souls, share ourselves without it devouring us, without it emptying us to the place where we're just a shadow of who, who we're meant to be. But no, God will help us share ourselves without losing ourselves. And we will find true life on the other side. Let's stand together now and sing.